My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. If this is your first time to Clear Creek, welcome. Uh, we, are, we are a big, messed up family full of forgiven people. The end, go home, we're good. The only reason that we are able to sit or stand with any level of confidence is not because of what you or I have done, but because of Jesus Christ. So listen, if you're, if you're kind of looking around at church, if you're maybe kicking the tire of faith, if you're exploring what it means, I want to be very clear here. If you go to a church that requires you to figure it out or pull yourself up to a certain level, you run the other way because the church is saved by the power and work of Jesus Christ. We're made whole because of Jesus. And it's only through him that we get to live whole. In fact, that's the whole thrust of this series of teachings, Resurrection People. What does it look like, family, for us to live fully resurrected lives? Now, before I answer that question, I need to address something that's come up, I I don't know, maybe a dozen times since last Sunday's message. So let me just, this may be the most important thing I say all day, so pay attention, okay? You ready? The man behind this thing is not me. Okay, just now that that's out of the way, I've had people say, was that you? Did you like go, and then they, no, that's it's some stock photo. We'll, we'll get a different face up there next week, maybe. Okay, now that we've got the important thing out of the way, I, I want to drive into what I think may be one of the most important conversations we ever have as a body of believers. Because I am convinced that what we're going to talk about today really is a life changer. Not just a game changer, it's a life changer. You see, The idea of resurrection is simply this. And the big idea from the series, will you go to the next slide there, Andy? I left my, bear with me a moment here. I forgot my remote. And per the video earlier today, yes, I have an alliteration coming, so hang with me, okay? But here's the key idea for the entire series that we're looking at here is that God wants to save all of you, not just part of you. See, a lot of us were taught, and maybe even not taught, but maybe by osmosis or just assumption, we believed that when God saved us, he was more concerned with saving our soul than all of us. And what that led for many of us was to believe that salvation, getting saved, means that you are saved from the fires of hell awaiting heaven. In other words, salvation for some of us is simply cosmic fire insurance. You pay a price now. To enjoy the benefits someday. But that is not what Scripture teaches, family. Scripture teaches that God wants to save not just part of you, but He wants to save all of you. And so we said that every one of us, according to Jesus Christ, we are made up of five components. This comes from the moment when He was asked, Jesus, what's the most important rule? What's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, you should love God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind and strength, and you should love your neighbors as you love yourself. Five components. You and I are made up of minds. We have our own thoughts, don't we? Just ask a two-year-old, what do you want? And they will tell you because we are a collection of thoughts. You are thoughts. You are a heart. You have emotions, a way that God has wired you. You have a soul. You are a set of beliefs, values. This is who you are at the core of your being. You and I are also strength, meaning we are the actions that we perform. We're not disembodied thoughts. We're also actions. And... We are relationships, the neighbors, the people around us. After all, you are so tied to the people you touch, aren't you? And so the question is, what part of you does God want to save? And the answer is what, church? All of you. 
There is not one part of you that God says, nah. Rather, every part of you, he goes, that is precious. Your thought life is precious to God. Your emotions are precious to God. Your beliefs, your actions, your relationships. And so this series is saying, what does it look like to live a fully resurrected life that it's not just for heaven, but it's for here? And so, with that said, today we're going to talk about what I think of as maybe of the five, the trickle-down effect from this one part. We're going to look at the mind. And I just want to talk to you this morning about what does a resurrected mind really look like? I mean, categorically, if you are saved, what should your thought life look like as well? And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of something I have been told about the great state of Alaska. Quick show of hands. How many of you have been to Alaska before? Go ahead and just raise your hands. Okay, yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, uh, let's see. Tom, are you here this morning? Tom, would, right back here. You grew up in Alaska, didn't you? You and all the moose, right? Okay, so... So, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong in this, but what I've been told is that Alaska basically has two seasons, winter and July. Okay, so you have a frozen season, you have snow, you have ice, but then it gets warm and all that snow and ice begins to melt, things get slushy, and so you have these dirt roads and cars drive over these wet, slushy, muddy dirt roads, and after they roll over and over and over, these nice, flat dirt roads become rutted roads. And I was told that there's a sign along one stretch of country road in Alaska that says this. It says, choose your rut carefully. You'll be driving in it the next 60 miles. I'm like, that's so great. Because here's the reality. Some of us know what it's like not necessarily to drive a car in a rut, but we know the ruts of our minds where you get stuck in a thought and you fall back into it. And it is so easy to fall into the rut of what you have thought and conditioned yourself to think. And it is so hard to get out of them, isn't it? Why is it that Christ followers who have been raised to life struggle sometimes with believing certain things and not believing other things? Or why is it that maybe we assume the worst of people even though we've been raised to have a positive view of people? Why is it that sometimes it is so easy to gossip? Why is it so easy to follow the cultural mind versus the mind of Christ? What is it about this? Because the reality is you may be saved from your sins, but we all still need to be saved from some ruts in our minds, don't we? And here's the reality, what you think affects everything else. In fact, here's the key idea for today. Our lives move in the directions of our strongest thoughts. I love this quote from a guy named Craig Rochelle, that our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What you think about most will determine who you are and where you go in life. You are today the result of all your thoughts from yesterday. Okay, so if you're trying to, for instance, um, I had gotten... uh, a little bit more in shape a couple years ago, and then COVID hit, and I was like, excuse time. So now it's like, you know, it's COVID binge eating. It's like, I'm not going to the gym because there are germs there. And so I, you know, I just, it's for safety. I won't go. And so who I am today is the result of thoughts that influenced the actions of yesterday. Do you follow what I'm saying here? Your thought life influences your emotions. Now I know some of us, we go, yeah, yeah, but my emotions influence my thoughts. I get that. But the fact is, I can't control my emotions directly, but I can certainly influence them indirectly through what I think about and what I choose to process. Are you tracking with me this morning? 
And so Paul is going to say exactly this, that who you are today is a result of your thoughts, and where you're going tomorrow is the result of your thoughts today. In Romans chapter 12, he makes this point, and I think it's so important. He says this, Do not conform to the, notice this phrase, pattern of this world. The pattern of this world. We might call that the rut of this world. The way of thinking that is so common and so entrenched that everyone seems to do it. You understand that the world has a common way of dealing with things, right? A common way of viewing other people with suspicion. A common way of talking about things and people. The world has a way it does things, a rut. But hear me now. Just because the world has a way it works doesn't mean that the way the world works, works. Just because it's a rut doesn't make it good. Doesn't mean that it'll be helpful. And so Paul says exactly the same idea. He says, so do not conform, do not fall into the rut, but get out of the rut of the way the world works. And he says you do this by the keyword transforming your mind. Go ahead and put this up there. There we go. Now, this word transformed, I love this word. It's a Greek word. I'm going to teach you a Greek word. Are you ready? It is metamorpho-o. Metamorpho-o. You ready? Let's try this together on the count of three. Say metamorpho-o. Ready? One, two, three. Congratulations, Greek scholars. I love it. This is the word that describes the transformation from a caterpillar to a butterfly. It is a complete change in who you are. In fact, it can be understood as simply change your mind or become someone new by the transforming of your mind. And he says, he says, it happens by the renewing of your key phrase, mind. Now, what's interesting to me is notice he does not say that you become changed or transformed by the renewing of your emotions. He doesn't say by your relationships or by your actions. Rather, he says your thought life trickles down to every part of your life. If you want to be different, if you want to live resurrected life, it starts with the mind. And we all say, oh, thank you, thank you, Paul. That is so good. I'm glad to know that what I think about leads the direction of my life. But how do I change and get out of the rut? See, he doesn't answer in that passage, does he? I'm so grateful that he does in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, turn with me quickly to... 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. I want you to notice as we get into this passage, Paul is talking to a group of Christ followers, people who have been saved, people who have walked with the Lord, and yet Paul is going to give them the three steps to changing their mind, to live a resurrected mind, because what you think leads to everything else. Notice the first thing he says here. For though we live in the world, notice this, he says, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Do you notice a theme here, church? Paul is talking to resurrected people, but reminding them that their thought life is still under constant attack. See, there's a key thing you and I need to grasp. Before we can change anything, you need to know that just because you were saved from your sins doesn't mean you're exempt from fighting for your mind. There's an enemy who will do everything he can to diminish your effectiveness, your joy, your purpose in this life. It's like, I'll make sure that the only thing you are is saved, but that is it. There will be no additional benefits or blessings. And so the enemy is attacking the mind. And Paul is very clear. He says, you need to understand that you are in a war. Friend, wake up. 
You are not fighting against other people this morning. I know you and your spouse, if you're like us sometimes, you'll be driving to church. And isn't it true that sometimes the worst fights between a husband and a wife happen on the way to church? Have you noticed this? You get into your car, the doors close, and the bell rings. Ding! And it's like... And the kids are going... And you're just watching what's happening. Then you pull into the parking lot of the church. Doors open. And it's like, ah! you walk out. People are like, how are you? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. You're blessed? I'm blessed. We're good. Thank you. Your fight is not against another person. But Paul says in Ephesians 6, your fight is against the dark powers of this world. There's a real God and there's a real devil. And his joy and purpose is to take away your joy and your purpose. You need to first know that you're in a war. But then Paul says, it's not just that you're in a war. He says that we have a different way of fighting because we recognize the enemy is not one another. The enemy is the enemy. And so we're going to have to attack things differently, he says. So the weapon we have, have divine power. Divine, it's God power. It's resurrection power. God gives you and me the power to be resurrected in the way that we not just are saved for eternity, but the way we think, feel, act, and relate to one another. It has divine power. What? To demolish strongholds. You say, what's a stronghold? A stronghold is anything that has a strong hold over your life. That's a stronghold. And the power of God The Holy Spirit of God is given to you upon your salvation for the purpose of demolishing strongholds. Hear me now. To demolish something means to tear it down. If you could do it yourself, why would you need the Holy Spirit in your life? See, if I can do it on my own, why do I need God? If I can do it on my own, why do I need the Spirit's power? The reason we lean into the power of the Spirit is because we recognize there are things still in our lives keeping us from living the resurrection life God has called us into. Are we all sort of following this morning? Otherwise, we're going to start all over again. So just a big yes would be great right now. Okay? Now, I want to show you real quickly the three things Paul says to do. He's going to give you three things. Put this up real quickly. Number one. Next slide. Yeah, number one, he's going to say, take captive every thought. Number two, he's going to say, demolish all the arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And number three, he's going to say, we have to make our thoughts obedience. So it's capture, it's demolish, it's making obedience. Three things, capture the thought, challenge the thought, change the thought. Three things, capture, challenge, change. First thing that you and I have to do To be transformed, living resurrection thoughts, is we have to capture what is going on in the recesses of our minds. How many of us know that there are thoughts that are flying around in your house, taking up valuable real estate, and they are not paying rent? The first thing we do is capture the thoughts. How many of us have seen, maybe if you're trying to budget, you have sort of a daily inventory. How many of you have ever done a a, a spending inventory? Anyone else? Okay, it's a great tool. Basically what you do is you just write down everything that you spent that day. And then at the end of the month, you kind of check and see, you know, Bobby, you know, is this this true? Wow, I didn't know I spent that much money on Twinkies. I got to stop buying Twinkies, right? Because I'm beginning to look like a Twinkie and that's just, you know, it's not good. Or some of us, it's maybe it's a food inventory. You want to Lose some weight so you track everything you eat and you go, wow, I'm eating more calories than I realized. In the same way, you and I need to take a thought inventory. 
what am I thinking about? In fact, there's, here's the question. The question is, what am I thinking about? Like, right now, what is it that is going through my mind, taking a valuable space in my head? Have you captured the thoughts? Let me give you some ways to evaluate and to see if you are capturing your thoughts. You might think about these. Are my thoughts, number one, worried or peaceful? And by the way, do you notice this is an emotion question? Because, see, God gives you emotions. They are valuable. Sometimes your emotions will show you what you're thinking before you realize what you're thinking. This is why the psalmist David says, why are you downcast, O my soul? You see, he feels something, and then he says, I will trust in God. So he then takes a feeling and recognizes the problem. So are my thoughts worried or peaceful? Number two, are my thoughts telling me I'm a victim or a victor? If you are in Christ Jesus, hear me now, you are no longer a victim to anyone or anything. You are given everything for life and godliness. You have been set apart. You have been raised from the dead. But the fact is, are my thoughts saying I'm a victim or am I a victor? When I am thinking in this way, do I fall into the rut or am I different? Are my thoughts number three? Agreeing with what is culturally popular. In other words, whatever the rut of the world goes, that's where my thoughts go. Number four, are my thoughts causing me to live fearfully or courageously? Am I a person who shrinks back or because of what I believe to be true in my thought life, I press forward? Are my thoughts negative and toxic or do they reflect my hope in Christ? Hear me now, church. You are in Christ Jesus. That means that tomorrow is already assured. Do you Think on the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Is your mind constantly going, yes, things are tough, but God is in control. Yes, I have sinned, but praise the Lord, Jesus died for my sins. I'm not sure how to live, but praise God, the Holy Spirit is in me. There is a way to think that is toxic or hopeful. Are my thoughts expecting the worst from others? Let's just pause there for a moment. Or expecting the best from others. If I'm in Christ Jesus and I believe that God is at work, then do my thoughts automatically assume the worst of you? Oh, I know what he really meant. I know what she really was trying to say. Or do I go, my goodness, God is at work in this person. I believe, you know, I may have misunderstood, but God is at work and this is good. This person loves Jesus. And do my thoughts... Assume the worst or the best. And finally, are my thoughts imagining the worst-case scenario or what God can do? So you have to capture the thoughts. What am I thinking about? And once you capture the thoughts, Paul says, you know, take every thought captive, not just some, take every thought captive. And then he says, you have to challenge the thought. Notice what he says. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. He's saying, we challenge what we think. Just because it's the way I always thought doesn't mean it's the way I ought to think. Is anyone tracking here? Because there are things that I used to think that I don't need to think anymore. In fact, here's the question for us. Does this thought agree with what God thinks? Does this thought agree with what God thinks? I capture the thought... This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. But then the next question is, does this thought that I'm struggling with or thinking through, does it agree with what God thinks? Because, here, 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 hear me now. Your thoughts 
are either true or false. What you think about something is either true or false. Scripture is very clear that the enemy is the father of what? Do you know the word? Of lies. In fact, his natural tongue, the Scriptures say that when he is speaking, he speaks in his natural tongue of lying. Jesus says of the devil, of the enemy, that he came, he is a thief, and he came to steal kill and destroy. And one of the best ways he does that is to insert lies into the way we think. Because as you think, that's who you are. What you think about determines so much of your life. And so you have to challenge it. And how do you challenge it? You say, well, does what I'm thinking about agree with what God thinks about? Because if the problem is in here, I cannot use my own evaluation to determine if it's true or false. How do we know or how do we challenge what we believe? We know what he says. I I love the story of Harry Houdini, the great magician and escape artist. How many of you are familiar with Houdini? Anyone in here? Oh, yeah. So you know Houdini was known for his ability to get out of tight spaces in just almost impossible ways. So he would be traveling around from town to town, and there's a story how as he would go from town to town to drum up excitement for his show, he would visit the local jail. And he would come to the jail and have the warden lock him in a cell, and then he would just boggle the minds of all who watched by getting himself out. And so he would do this from place after place, and after he would get out, you know, people were like, wow, you think that's great? You come back, I'll show you something even more amazing. Well, so he's coming to this one town, and this warden of the jail in this one city had heard about Houdini's little performance. And so he decided he'd get him. So Houdini's in the jail cell, and the warden closes the door. He puts the key in the lock, but instead of twisting it to lock the door, the warden twists it the opposite direction and then takes the key out. Houdini begins to work, tries to get it out. And Houdini, because he saw the way that the warden had locked it, Houdini, the rest of the time, is trying to unlock it by locking himself in. Time after time, he can't get out. Finally, he gives up, and he says, I give up. I don't know what went wrong. And the warden said, I simply let you lock yourself in. How many of us have locked ourselves into the way of thinking because we have not challenged the truthfulness or the falsehood based on what God says to be true? It's like, oh, I I think it's this way. I, I, I think this is how it is. And time after time, year after year, we are stuck. But he says, you capture the thought. You challenge the thought. You say, what does God think about this? And then finally, finally, he says, then you change the thought. Now, here's the part. Making it obedient to Christ sounds easy. But the way that you do this is not the way that most of us try to do this. See, in the church world that I grew up, and I love my church, I love where I grew up, but where I grew up, the way we were taught to overcome thoughts or ideas was just don't think about those thoughts or ideas, right? So you've got this challenging mindset, just don't think about it. Think about, just, just don't think about it. And I can never do it. It's like my friend who'd come up and be like, hey, Josh, whatever you do for the next few moments, don't think about a pink elephant, Okay, just don't think, and don't think about a pink elephant with wings. Like, just don't think about a big, fat, pink elephant with these little wings flying around. Don't think about a pink elephant with wings. Quick question, 
How's that working for anyone in here? See, the, the way we combat a lie is not with avoiding the lie, but with exchanging it for the truth. Think on such things, Paul will say in Philippians chapter 4. It's not enough just to challenge it. You have to then say, I will change it. What is the truth that I am going to exchange for the lie? And so let me just, let me sort of lead us into this part because I want you to know what the truth of God is. Some of you are in the rut of thinking. It is stinking thinking. Thank you, Zig Ziglar. It is stinking thinking and you are stuck in it. The way to get out is to exchange it for the truth. Let me tell you what God says the truth is about you. The thoughts that God has for you. Number one, God says you are loved. God says that you are loved. You are a child of God created in his image. You are not simply loved, but you have been chosen by God. The Holy Spirit of God, we're told, actually stamps God's approval on your life. And you are chosen by God. The scriptures say that you are an heir to God. You are a part of God's family. What is an heir? An heir receives the full benefits of being a child. Your daddy God has given you everything for life and godliness. You are an heir. You are a part of his family. You are a gift from God. But you're not simply a child of God. You are a reflection of God. The very image of God in this world. Listen, when people see you, they get a glimpse of God. You are a a blessing from God. You are handcrafted by God. Ephesians 2.10 says, meaning God made you. He held you and he goes, I want you to look and be this way. God loves you the way that you are. You are a new creation, scripture tells us, being made new day after day. You're not stuck in your past. It does not define you because you are now a new creation according to what God says about you. You are gifted by God. You have supernatural gifts that complement the way God made you when you were born. When you were saved, God says, I'm going to pour my spirit in you. And you will have abilities to do things that you can't do on your own. You are an overcomer. Your past does not define you. Your sin does not define you. Jesus Christ defines you. You are an overcomer because of Jesus Christ. This is who you are. There's some more. I don't have space on the screen, so let me give you just a couple more. You are forgiven. Did you know you are forgiven in Jesus Christ? For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been forgiven of every sin, past, present, and even the ones you'll commit later this week. You are forgiven. And guess what? Because of that, you are free. Who the Son sets free, Jesus says, is free indeed. This is who you are, family. And you have got to let go of the thoughts and actively say, this is the truth. I will not accept the lie. I will embrace the truth. If you want a resurrected life, you need a resurrected mind. And that comes from exchanging the falsehoods with the truth of who God says you are. This is who you are. Listen, when I look at you, this is who you are. Miracle, you are a gift from God. You are a fantastic wife and mom. I think about you, Miss Jackie, in the back. The number of times you are an an encouraging person. God has given you the spiritual gift of encouragement. The number of cards I've received from you, they wake me up and bless me, sister. I think about you, Booty. 
You are the embodiment of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I want to be like you when I grow up. I think about you, Bill. You are a man who uses his gifts to bless people, not just in this church, but in our city. I've watched it and I've witnessed it. I think about so many of you and the way that you just love and care for other people. John, you are a fabulous dad. You are a good friend. I mean, I am so grateful for your friendship. I think about the way that God has made each of you, Todd, the way that you serve, even when no one watches or gives you an attaboy, you are a servant in the way that you serve. This church, you need to hear me now, this is who you are. You are not what you think, you are who he says you are. Joel, you are a fabulous teacher. God has given you a gift of teaching. I love our conversations. I go away smarter and humbled when I'm around you because of your gift that God has given you. Who are you, really? Don't allow the lies of the enemy to take any more space in the home of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you and says, this is who you are. So I'm just going to ask you, who are you? I'm going to ask you to do something. I know it's cheesy, but I want this to be practical, and I want you to remember, will you take the name tag? And listen, if if you've already put your name on it, that's okay. That's all right. You can squeeze this other thing in, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. What is the one word? Maybe some of you are saying, I got more than one word. Fine, two or three words. What is the truth that you need to hold on to today and say, this is what God says about me, and this is what I will think on. This is what I will allow to permeate the very core of my being. Let me tell you the word on here for me today, because I need this one today, is that I am forgiven. I'm not the sum of my sin. I'm the sum of my Savior. And you are a gift from God. What is the word? I'm going to ask you to take a moment to grab that pen, which you just jot down that little word on there. And over the next couple moments, we're going to just kind of sort of soak in this. And I'm going to invite you over the next moment as you write this down, would you just kind of bring your name? And I'm going to ask us to just put it on these boards. I want this to be a testament of what God says about our church here, of who you are. Because your life will go in the direction of your strongest thought. May your strongest thought be what God thinks about you. As you write down your name and the word on your card, I invite you to come up and share what God is saying to you and what he would say to our church.
I am loved. I'm an overcomer. I'm strong in his power. I'm a helper. I am blessed. I'm transformed. I'm saved eternally. Anyone else in here grateful that you're saved eternally? You are forgiven. You are chosen. I like this one. I am a warrior. You're not timid because God is in you. You do not need to be afraid of the dark powers or the enemy because we've already seen how the game ends. We're simply watching the highlights reel now, family. This is who God says you are. May these be the thoughts that capture your soul this week.